You're listening to episode 96 of the Comics Pals. We're a group of comic book journalists and friends who record a podcast together because we don't talk enough about comics in our daily lives. Kale says hi. <laughs> Honestly, is that what we do on the show? Yeah, that's hi. what it's that's what it's degraded to. I mean, I, all, all, we we brought Marco back, guys, and like we're just seeing the quality of his jokes already. You know, it's like <laughs> this is why last week it was just me Good and John. This is the best show we've ever done. Ninety some odd episodes, best episode. Less than one minute in, you ruin it. Enhance it uh, is the the correct phrase. No, <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to hear hi from someone who isn't here. The people who I say hi to are on the show. I said hi. I don't say hi to anybody that's not on the show. Like, we kicked Kale off the show for a reason. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, so, it's Pete and Marco and myself today. No Phil, no Kale. Kale's in La La Land. Phil is currently uh, c- killing himself. Not, wow. you know, through, like, some sinister means. He's just overworking himself to the point of death. Oh. I was like, yeah. should should we stop doing the show and help him? <laughs> no. <laughs> Unless I'm not. getting paid. Exactly. You uh, get paid to save your friend's life, okay? <laughs> yeah, Sounds bro. like my hero academia. Have you ever heard of <laughs> Heroes for Hire? Yeah, there we save people, but we get paid. And if you That's... ain't paying, we ain't saving. Alright, so we're the Heroes for Hire now. That's our new that's our new gig? Yeah. All right. I'll do it. All right. That sounds good. I mean, I got to get paid somehow. I got all these superpowers. I I got bills to pay, man. Yeah, but I'm Luke Cage. Pete, you're Iron Fist. And Marco, uh, you can be uh, your Colleen Wing. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) I I do feel like there's always been a little bit of romantic tension between me and Marco. There has been. And it's not romantic as much as it is sexual. That's fair. <laughs> wow. <laughs> wow. I guess, I, guess, I guess just real quick before we move on from this, my question is, if I'm Danny Rand, the fuck do I need to be a hero for hire for? And I, I'm rich as fuck. Oh, well. There's always <laughs> more money to be made. You're a capitalist. Just, I just like to fight and hang out with my buddy Luke Cage. That's really the answer. Exactly, dude. Couldn't I just pay Luke's bills? Sure, but... (laughs) Well, I know. Uh, So, before we jump into the meat of things, I do want to let you guys know where you can find us all over the place. Uh, We are the Comics Pals on SoundCloud, on iTunes. You can hit us up over there. Well, I suppose it's Apple Podcasts. Um, You can leave us a rating or your podcast hosting platform of choice, wherever you prefer to catch us we are at the comics pals wherever your social media is sold you can write into the show at the comics pals at gmail.com uh and hit us up with you know a random question by or sell whatever you feel like talking about last but not least we're on youtube where if you're checking this out on youtube you can hit that like button drop us a comment share this video with your friends and subscribe to our channel it's free to do and it helps us out a lot more than it costs you so Make sure to hit that button. And of course, notifications. You want to get notifications from us, so hit the bell to make sure that you are aware of whenever we post our new content 
on YouTube. Notification. Ah. <laughs> uh, so, with that, I do have a question for you guys. Oh, so would you say that it's time for, for my favorite segment? Mm-hmm. Wow. The random question of the week! <laughs> yes, it is, it is. It is time for that. Uh, now, tomorrow, in real world time, right? Like in current time, tomorrow, Sunday, I will be going to watch The Dark Knight, okay? Uh, 10 year anniversary. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I am so excited. Okay. Sunday, 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 be there. Sean, you're about 10 years too late. You know what, Marco, man? Listen, I've been a, I've been busy. All right. I'm finally getting around to it. Back off. <laughs> uh, but it sparked my thinking. What movie would you like to see re-released with the caveat that no other movie will be re-released. It's just this one movie. It's got to be a, a superhero movie, and it's only going to happen once. What movie? So he, Go ahead. I just was going to ask a follow-up. Uh, w- did they do anything to The Dark Knight? Like, are they just replaying it, or is it like an updated version? It's an updated version. It's it's okay, I couldn't remember. Isn't it it's, like 70 millimeter? Yeah, it's playing on 70 millimeter. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um... I'll go first because I, I the answer that came to me the most quickly is I'd want to see uh, the original Sam Raimi Spider Man. I knew you were gonna say that. Oh. Yeah, that's an easy pick for me. Um, you know, I think like that movie is in the conversation for uh, greatest superhero movie of all time, um, and I think like as much as people like to like take pot shots at Tobey Maguire now that we have other Spider Men out there. Um, those first two movies are phenomenal. And I think the, the first one in particular, like was, you know, for me as a kid, but also I think for us as a culture, like it was a moment, you know, that was like America's post nine 11 catharsis film. And, uh, I think, you know, like it, it's a movie I'd definitely like to see get that treatment. Okay. I'd uh I'd actually agree with that. I I would pick that as my as my pick just because there is yes. a like an emotional element there. Like those were the first movies that I saw that were superhero oriented and that uh at least had gave me interest tangentially in like in comics and stuff before getting into the Dark Knight and and movies like that and picking up comics for the first time. So yes, seconded on Sam Raimi's uh Spider Man movie. Hell yes. Yeah. Uh, that one was a curveball. I didn't think Marco was going to go there. Hey. <laughs> I mean, what's it going to say? Swamp Thing? Like, there's not a lot of options for the boy. I mean, yeah, well, they're not great movies, so. Oh, my God. <laughs> uh, I'm actually going to go with Spider-Man 2. Yes. As all right. Two. As in as well. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I will go with Spider-Man as well. <laughs> <laughs> I, I hadn't. I had the connection with Spider-Man 1, obviously, just of it being, you know, a monumental happening that there was Spider-Man on my movie screen. But and that I thought, it was good. Well, yeah, I had no expectation. You know, I was like 10. I didn't know. Yeah. You would have liked it if it was terrible. <laughs> right. It's Spider-Man on my on my movie screen. Um, I, At that time, I, liked, I had no problems with 
Batman Forever or Batman and Robin. I thought they were great. So, uh, but Batman or Batman Spider Man Two came out when I was a little older and I had a little bit more sense of quality. And I thought they upped the ante in every single way. Uh, I couldn't get that damn dashboard con- confessional song out of my head. Uh, vindicated. vindicated. <laughs> yeah. um, and it just, you know, it pulls from stuff that I knew, like Spider-Man No More, which I had seen in the yeah. the show. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Doc Ock, I thought, was such an amazing villain. So nuanced. So cool, his power set. Um, and... Uh, and I, I was really invested in everything that they did with that movie. So I, I think if I could only see one other superhero movie again on the big screen in, in terms of a re-release, I think it'd be it'd be Spider-Man 2. It's funny because I hedged when I picked Spider-Man 1. I almost said Spider-Man 2 because I, I think Spider-Man 2 is a better movie. But yeah, the, the first one's just got that. It's the first one. You know, like it's it's got that special sauce. Um and uh but yeah i i definitely if if that hadn't been my pick that would have been my pick so i'm super happy with all these answers <laughs> and it's, it's funny because i actually tend to prefer sequels so i think your answer fits your character my answer fits my character Absolutely. i like to to move on from the preamble of well this is how this character came to be uh i find those stories to be a little slow I I would I, again I would think I would generally agree with you. I think Sam Raimi's Spider-Man One is one of the only movies that, at least like you know superhero movies, right? That um that make the origin interesting for me because like the whole Uncle Ben scene is like one of the most powerful moments in the movie. Like the fucking Macho Man cameo is oh, amazing. Yeah. That shit is so fucking funny. Like <laughs> that's one of the best like jokes in the movie when he just <laughs> the fucking bone saw like come on <laughs> just him with that cheesy ass saw covered in fucking <laughs> aluminum foil the bone saws are ready <laughs> like it's it's so good like that was literally my perception of wrestling i mean that was like wrestling in the 80s yeah. like uh, <laughs> that I mean, was well, like, wrestling in the 90s well at least it was that was macho man in the 90s he's crazy yeah. <laughs> that was that's his thing just like the the only difference between Macho Man Randy Savage and the Bone Saw is that the Bone Saw doesn't wear fucking do rags and sunglasses. <laughs> <laughs> and maybe he does. That was only one moment in time. That's a good point. Uh, you know, it it, it actually is kind of interesting to me that they never re released Spider Man one. I know, like as far as I know. I, I think you're right. Um, and like most other movies in its like level of financial success have had a re-release at least once. You know, Titanic's been re-released like four fucking times. Swamp Thing's been released on Blu-ray. Yeah, it's been released. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I would love to see that. I think if I had to guess why, probably has something to do with the fact that around the time when it would have been the 10-year anniversary. I think they were neck deep in the Amazing Spider-Man series. And maybe they didn't right. want to, you know, pull away from that. But They didn't want to celebrate the series of Spider-Man movies that everybody liked? Yeah, well, well the two that everybody the liked. The two, yeah, that's fair. Yeah. But <laughs> it could also be that that series ended so badly that 
they thought that people wouldn't want to see that again. I don't know. But I think if I, I think they should reconsider, maybe for the 20th. Yeah, I, I think the answer is probably somewhere in the middle of those two things that you threw out there, Sean. But uh, yeah, I, I agree. Um, I, I would love to see them go back to this well. Uh, just for a celebration of it, you know, it's like them re-releasing the Dark Knight wasn't like, you know, doesn't take away from our desire for a new good Batman movie. If anything, it fucking reignited it, you know, for me, like us talking and thinking about the Dark Knight, uh, in, you know, um, conjunction with its anniversary had me thinking about Batman movies in a way I haven't since Rises, you know? Um, so for me, like... Yeah, I I don't I don't think this takes anything away from what they've got going on uh, with with um, with our modern Spider-Man to like, you know, not like pay it forward, but like pay respect to these films, you know? Yeah, we're not stupid. We can tell the difference. We know it's not, you know, we know it's from 10 years ago and it's just appreciation, just just a celebration of, of something that, you know, was really relevant to us at a certain time. Well, and you got to think how many how many kids are there now that are into superhero movies that have never seen those movies and might get something out of them, you know? Like I I <clears throat> I'd argue that the original Superman movie and like 89 Batman like those still hold up too. Like there's value in going back and and seeing what came before your time, you know? Here's an idea. So everywhere on the Sony Spider-Man universe list of films that are coming out that they have something extremely dumb just put spider-man one and two in that space so just show them again oh silver sable <laughs> how about spider-man uh black cat uh spider-man two uh morbius spider-man three why not just do yeah, it just cut those out and just put spider-man out again I'll tell you what, I'd go see Spider-Man 3 again in theaters if it was, like, at a event night where I could get really drunk. <laughs> yeah, honestly, I, I would have such a fun time because now I have no stakes in that movie. It is what it is. So I'd have a blast. And I guarantee you, I'm saying this right now, I guarantee you that if you put Spider-Man 2 out and you put out a Silver Sable or Black Cat or Morbius movie, Spider Man one or two will make more money. I'm I, I believe You know, I wouldn't I wouldn't be surprised by that either. Tell you what. As long as it's all equal, you gotta promote it. You got you can't just like quietly release it. You gotta you know, you gotta promote it. But if you do that, I guarantee it makes more money. So Yeah, I I, I mean I I don't know man. I feel like Making an event out of it seems way easier than getting people to give a shit about Silver Sable. Like, <laughs> not gonna argue with you there. Uh, so let's jump into our pals pulls. For Marco, we've got Bone Parish number two. Yeah, uh, Bone Parish is the uh, this is the second issue for Cullen Bunn's newest series. Um, I am a huge Cullen Bunn fan, especially when he takes more horror directions um that's like his wheelhouse uh so this is just another series that i am following because i love cullen bunn and it's really really good the art's amazing um so definitely go pick it up 
Marco, I you know what that reminds me of is uh, so I took <clears throat> my girlfriend to a comic book store for the first time this weekend, yeah. and she's like super into horror, Hell and she yeah. randomly randomly picked up uh, Cullen Bunn's Death Follows, ah. like just pulled it off the pulled it off the wall and was like, oh, this looks interesting, and I was like, oh, Marco loves Cullen Bunn, Yo. and then guess what the other book that caught her eye was? Please say it was Harrow County. It was motherfucking Harrow County. Yeah, dude. Yo, <laughs> it, it just reading sesh like right now uh and come back in like an hour okay yeah yeah all right all right bye guys <laughs> no but i will say i haven't read them yet but uh she's loving them so yeah dude, thanks bud really, really good colin bun marco what is it that you like about colin bun because i just i haven't i haven't gotten into him. like his superhero stuff is not great like anything that he writes with superheroes like when he did the x-men um by like was it like a year or two ago the series wasn't great he tried to inject a lot of like uh i think the first arc was even they went underground back into the sewers and stuff and like there was uh, a lot of like these assassins that were coming after them and it, it wasn't he tries to inject that horror and it doesn't always fit the the characters he did the same thing with aquaman when he took it over um like two three years ago uh when it was still part of the new 52 or like transitioning into dcu and he took it in a direction, um, again, that just injected horror. Like, the the waters went from being blue to, like, a murky green. And, like, the characters were, like, he- the, the direction art-wise was, like, much more heavily inked and stuff. Yeah. Um, but all that stuff doesn't work necessarily in a vacuum for superheroes as Cullen Bunn, for Cullen Bunn as a writer. I think it's much more better when it's just in its own element as a horror book. And I think that's where he really excels at being a writer in that space where he's able to tell his story and not be bogged down by um, anything else that sort of precedes the the story that he's trying to tell. Sure. Cool. I think that was a really good explanation, actually. I'm going to I'm going to pick up a trade of his. Something not Dude, Harrow County. Okay. Harrow County, 100%. Alright. I'll do it. I will do yes! it. Yes! Uh, and then you also chose New World number two. Yeah, this is Aless's cop, Aless Cott's book. Um, it's uh, the art's amazing. This sort of storyline is uh, about a like a world where gladiators are sort of uh, televised and like they become celebrities and stuff. Um, and it's really really futuristic. Um, it's like sort of cyberpunky, and it's just been a lot of fun. Uh, and I, I usually pick up. Uh, Aless's books because uh, he likes to introduce like indie artists and new uh, and new creators so at the end of this issue uh, at the end of the first issue there was like a couple pages of like new creators that he tries to introduce and like bring into the comic space um, so I always appreciate that on top of the story that he tries to tell and uh, it's a really good book it's being published by Image his stuff is always off the wall and weird and uh, enthralling so check it out Awesome. Cool. Pete, you chose Lex Luthor Porky Pig Special number one. What's good, Pete? Yeah. Yeah, so it's time for DC's next batch of uh, crossovers between some of their classic heroes and anti-heroes with some of the Hanna-Barbera or, like, you know, Looney Tunes characters. Um, We've got this one out this week, which it just caught my eye because the matchup is super interesting, you know? Yeah, Um, 100%. It's just, it's just so weird. It's like, what, what would that interaction even be? You know? 
Uh, so I'm, I'm super excited for that. These have been a lot of fun. Every time I've checked them out, I've missed a couple along the way, but, um, uh, every, every single one of them that I've read has been just an absolute joy and, uh, and just like a brisk read for the most part. So that was the one that caught my eye the most, but we've also got, uh, Catwoman and Tweety and Sylvester, which is another one that I, I'm very, very much interested in this week. Well, that's actually the one that I chose. Uh, because segways, yeah. baby. <laughs> so first of all, you 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 really cannot go wrong with Gail Simone. Uh, she's just on fire, um, lately, and so I'm very excited for that. This is a weird. I mean, it's a it's a pairing that makes sense, I guess. If you're gonna put these kind of characters together, this pairing makes sense. It's still strange, just you know. In a general sense, it's kind of uh, out there. But if you follow Gail Simone on on Twitter, then you would have seen the art that she shared, and it is crazy. It, it's it's unbelievable um, what this book is looking like. So the art is by Inaki Miranda, and I, I've not heard of her before, but again, the art is incredible. So I highly recommend it on that alone. Plus, I'm sure that this story is going to be very loony because it's Gail Simone. <laughs> so check it out. And while while we're at it, while we're talking comics, I did want to mention a little book called Crowded. Uh, so obviously Crowded is by a few friends of ours, uh, Christopher Sabella Rose Stein, Ted Brandt, came out two weeks ago, I believe. Uh, I missed it when it came out. I, I didn't. I didn't have the opportunity to read it, but I did read it, and it's it's amazing. So here's a fun fact: um, I can't find it. Every single and I I live in you know uh, I live in New Jersey, and there are four comic book stores within driving distance of me, every single one of them is sold yep, out. I believe Wow. And, and has been since week one. And like, I came back this week, I was like, maybe they'll have some more, you know, like, you know, maybe we'll do a, a reprint because it sold really well. Like, I know there's the movie and everything, so you got to imagine there's a bunch of people snapping them up thinking they'll be worth something, or you know. Um, but yeah, I cannot find this fucking book. I'm still waiting to read it. Which is like a great problem to have. You know, I'm super happy for for our friends to have that success. Uh, but for me, the guy who wants to read the book and has wanted to since we interviewed them, I'm a little frustrated. <laughs> we'll have to pick it up at a NYC uh, New York Comic Con when uh, yes. when we see them. Yeah, absolutely. Like I think I might be at that point because I you know I talked to uh, the guy who you know I know the best of the shops I run, and he said he would try to order it for me, and I still haven't heard from him. It's been two weeks, so. I think I might just have to bite the bullet and uh, wait and pick it up later. Which, you know, whatever, that's fine. Get it directly from Chris. It is really, really good. And I'm so glad to be able to say that because you want you want to see the people you like succeed. You never know. You sure. know, sometimes things don't work out the way that creators think that the book will and for whatever reason, but it's a hit. They, they really have something special. And I can see why it got picked up for a movie. 100%. That's awesome. I'm so excited. Um, so obviously so happy for uh, for Chris and Ted and Ro 
And uh, if you guys haven't heard about Crowded, go check out the uh, two episodes we did back to back with them. Um, they're awesome. They're some of our best episodes and they were great guests. We talked all about the book and, uh, yeah, it's, uh, I just, I can't wait to get my hands on it. Just the art, man. The art is so good. I can't believe that, like, this is the two of them, uh, Ted and Rose, like, first, like, big book, you know? Like, they're just so, like, their skills are already there, you know? You're not kidding. And it's just so exciting. It's so exciting to see what they're going to do. Uh, yeah, I was so impressed with the art. I didn't realize, like, I looked at some previews, but I, I didn't, I don't know, I didn't, like, super, like, pay attention. I agree. I don't usually do that with previews. Like, I look at them, and it's, like, very much a thing of, like, oh, this objectively looks good or bad. But, like, you don't really take it in until it's in the context of the story. Yeah. Oh yeah! Look at that landscape. Look at this. Look at this page. This is a, so I'm showing a page of uh, the two primary characters in one of their homes, and the the page is just the home with the wall cut out so that you can see them traversing through the house, which is a you know a tactic that you kind of see more and more in comics. But it just looks so good here, especially like the angle, yeah. you know, that Ro chose is not. It's not just, like, flat, you know? It's not just, like, head-on. It, it has this really interesting dynamic that really gives you a sense of, like, motion, you know? Yeah, mm. it, it's, it's it's really good. God damn, she is so good. She is so fucking Hugely good. talented, everybody involved in creating this book, and just uh, hats off. I just wanted to, to mention that because, you know, obviously we've been following this book and we're fans of the creators, so great job, and we'll definitely have them on. Uh, at some point here soon to kind of talk about this this amazing success. Uh, yeah, congratulations yeah, again. Absolutely. So let's jump into the news. Uh, we're starting with Marvel's push for Black Panther to get a nomination for uh, Best Picture at the Academy Awards. Now, this is kind of a controversial subject believe it or not uh and the reason i believe yeah, it <laughs> <laughs> the reason is that the academy announced not too long ago that they would come out with a new category for popular films uh, uh, which is the most gatekeeper bullshit i've ever heard now, I have a thought about that, but let me get through this first. So, they don't really they don't really say exactly what that means. It's kind of ambiguous. Uh, but they they generally they're trying to satisfy films that are really successful commercially and with fans versus films that are, you know, artistically great, I guess. Uh, the distinction there is kind of an interesting one. But, you know, whatever. Uh, we haven't seen superhero movies really get much love at all at, at these award shows beyond the technical uh, awards like best sound effects or, hey, uh, best makeup and, and, and design like uh, Suicide Squad, right? So Marvel Studios wants to see Black Panther, and, and by the way, so do fans. A lot of people have talked about this. 
And a lot of people have, have said that it's possible that this whole new uh, category is a result of Black Panther and, and the, and the uh, big yeah. time success. Now, I've seen that theory out there a lot. This is what Kevin Feige had to say about this whole thing. I would like to see the hard work and the effort and the vision and the belief of the talented filmmaker Ryan Coogler, who sat across the table from us a few years ago and said, I have been wrestling with questions about my past and my heritage, and I think I really want to tell a story within this movie. And that he did so un- and that he did it so unbelievably well and with so much impact, seeing that potentially be recognized is what excites me the most. So uh, a veteran Oscar campaigner said the following, which I thought was really interesting. You want to remind voters that this wasn't just a movie. It was a phenomenon. The depth of that impact, what it meant to people, what it stood for. If Academy members didn't get it, then they need to understand it now. So what do you guys think about a Black Panther being in the running at all, is it good enough to stand toe-to-toe with what typically is Oscar fare? And B, the fact that there could be this popular film category that if it, if they, well, it exists, it's for sure existing, that Black Panther would almost guaranteed win that, and maybe then that would, in the minds of the Academy, satisfy the masses who want to see it awarded do you think that's kind of a bait-and-switch type thing? I'm always torn about things like this because uh, when it comes to awards, it's you're supposed to be acknowledging the craft and workmanship in terms of, of uh, translating things into film versus making a film i guess that like utilizing the film as a medium versus utilizing the film as a medium to tell a story um and you know sometimes those go hand in hand sometimes they don't and in in terms of black panther being up for an oscar nod like 100 percent. i think it was a great movie i think it was executed very well and i think that the way that they sort of portrayed the story was done in a very, uh, in, in an artistic way. It was done in a way where there was a lot of uh, technicality uh, to the extent of potentially other films and to the extent of um, other like art films or whatever. You know, obviously there's going to be disagreement there and and I sort of sit somewhere in the middle with that. Um, I don't know to what extent popularity and to what extent um commercial success should be incorporated into craft or critical analysis um so that's that is always like up in the air for me um but yes i do think that black panther deserves it because it was that much of a phenomenon um more so than Something like Infinity War that I think would win the popular the popular um, award more so than Black Panther because it was a phenomenon. Uh, Infinity War it was a phenomenon, but it was also a conclusion to a story and not necessarily one that was sure it was crafted well and it was presented well as a film. But um, in terms of Black Panther or Infinity War, that's how I would, I would sort of lay them out um, and the popular award category i think 
should include those kind of larger films and commercial films that are sort of not necessarily the antithesis of what a critical award is, but acknowledges at least that success. So I don't know. I'm always in the middle with this. Yes, Black Panther should be should get a nod for Best Picture um, and should not be considered for popular film um, just because it meant so much more than that. It wasn't just a popular film. I think I am I'm fairly aligned with what Marco's saying there. I think uh, just where I guess I'd add a caveat is I think um, I would definitely agree with what you're saying about like popularity and commercial success of a film should not necessarily impact critical um, attitudes about a film come award season, right? But I think when you have a film like Black Panther that isn't just a film, it's like a moment, that is significant. And you're right to make uh, the Infinity War comparison because Infinity War was a com- was like a moment for people who've been following Marvel for all these years. Right. Whereas Black Panther was like a cultural moment. And it came out of nowhere. It was a surprise, you know? And, and I think that um, that is the differentiator. And I, I don't think that... It, I just think that the problem is there's like a very kind of all-or-nothing attitude about these films. It's I don't think that every single one of them deserves uh, an Oscar nomination. But when one does, I think that they are often snubbed because of what they are and because of their association with those other films. You know? Yeah, that's fair. Um, because Black Panther is in Infinity War uh, or in a part of the Marvel machine, the Marvel universe, it's not looked at as a quote-unquote serious art film. You know? It's it's low art. It's pop art. It's this popular cate- popular film category. And that, that's bullshit. You know, I, I don't think there's anything wrong with having that as a category to recognize those kinds of films if that's what they want to do. Blockbusters are a big part of the film industry now, and I think it makes sense to try and talk about them in a different way that, than you do art films. You know, that's fine if you want to do that. But doing that as a way of like trying to placate the masses so that we don't say that a movie like Black Panther is deserving of consideration for Best Picture is unfair. Um, in the same way that I think it was unfair that I felt like Logan was really snubbed. Like, Logan was a was a really good, well-made film, and I thought it deserved a nod, you know? And, and I think, like, the movies in the superhero genre that do deserve Best Picture nod are, you could probably count them on, you know, one hand. But when they deserve it, they shouldn't be the the fact that they're a superhero movie, the fact that they are a popular film or a blockbuster or whatever you want to call them, that shouldn't mean that they can't be taken seriously as art. Or as high art, you know, like quote unquote. Uh, you know, I, I think in general people care too much about this. Uh look, these the the, the Academy Awards has never been for this, right? So, who cares? I don't pay attention to it. It's no surprise that the ratings are getting worse and worse. And it's because there's this assumption that people care about, that the masses care about what movie is the best, you know, on some objective scale, when for the most part, the movies that the average person enjoys, you don't even see them at these shows. 
I couldn't even tell you half the movies that win these awards because I don't I don't care about them. And it's cool. It's cool if you care about those things and it's cool if you're very into that. That's all good for you. But if Black Panther doesn't get nominated, it will not change how I feel about the movie on any level. What it will do is it will make me think, well, that's that's the Academy Awards doing what they do. And for them to want to change my perception by adding a popular you know, movie category makes all the sense in the world, but I'm not dumb. So I'm not going to all of a sudden be like, yeah, Black Panther won the popular vote, you know? No, that's I'm not I'm not going to tune in to see which which of the movies that I like won the lesser category. I'm not interested. You look at BuzzFeed's wrap up the next day. Yeah, or you whatever. Know, that's yeah. what that's what most people our age yeah. do. So um yeah, you're totally right, man. So I don't but I also don't I don't think that the academy should change their their standards because people want to see a certain thing. In the sense that if if this is what it is, right? And if they own, if they judge movies by a certain criteria and they're saying that superhero movies don't fit that criteria, fine. And if there really hasn't been one yet that they feel fits the criteria, fine. I have no problem with that. I don't care. That's your criteria. Who am I to say, well, you're, you guys are wrong. This movie is the one when I don't even watch the movies that they say fit the criteria to compare Black Panther 2. I'm not a judge. I can't say. So I just I just think it's overblown. Yeah, I think for me the only reason that I that it even matters to me is that it matters to the creators. It matters to the film community. Like if you're a director, you want to see your film get nominated for Best Picture. You know, and if if a significant enough number of people feel that uh, Black Panther is deserving of that, then I think it's a shame that it's precluded from doing so based on what it is. That's really, I guess, like the final word for it on me. But in general, I would say I agree with you, Sean. I think that the Oscars are becoming incre- increasingly irrelevant. And I I wonder what the future really even looks like for, for, the, uh, for the awards. Yeah. Uh, when this story first sort of picked up steam a couple weeks ago there were other changes that they had made as well they're expanding the show i believe and you know they're trying to do all sorts of things and um they're like pushing a bunch of awards to like being during commercials and like you can only watch them online and like trying to make it brisker and more interesting for people to watch yeah and uh you know i think that's fine but i think more than anything People are getting tired of segregation like that, and so if you're not gonna, if you're not gonna talk about the movies that we care about, we're just not gonna tune in. You know, it's a, it's kind of an incestuous affair, anyways. So, whatever. I'm happy that the movies that I enjoy aren't a part of that. Uh, so, in other Marvel news, the Defenders will be returning, but not the Netflix Defenders, and not the new comic book Defenders. I'm talking about the old comic book Defenders. I'm talking about the Defenders that we did a behind-the-books about. I'm talking about the OG Defenders. I'm talking about 
The OD. The OD. Wow. Original defenders. The, the bro. original defenders. <laughs> defenders. Uh, talking about Hulk, Doctor Strange, Silver Sa- Silver Sable, uh, Silver Surfer, <laughs> and Namor. Uh, they're coming back together for a series of one-shot specials under the title The Best Defender before the group eventually, you know, figures it out and joins up in the in the one-off comic The Defenders, The Best Defense, which is going to be written by Al Ewing with art by Joe Bennett. Now, if you'll, if, if you recall, if you're a very eagle-eyed fan, you'll know that this actually kind of mirrors the way the Defenders originally got together because when they did, they got together through annual special issues and, like, issues peppered in between, you know, between storylines in the proper book series, and then they had the Defenders, you know, big-time debut. So, this is pretty cool. Um... What do you guys think about this? Do you have any do you have any thoughts? Comic books are like Star Wars. They rhyme. <laughs> uh you know, this is cool, man. Uh I, you know, the Defenders are like just a cool team. Like those four characters are I what is it? I think the original tagline was they're like some of like the Oh, I forget what it was. It was like Marvel's like weirdest, you know, heroes or whatever. And obviously the Hulk is like pretty mainstream at this point. And Doctor Strange is uh, increasingly becoming a popular character. But uh, I, I I think that they like are just such a like a fun kind of like ragtag group of guys. And like they're like friendly with each other. But like a lot of times their relationships are also like kind of contentious. And like, you know, they often like fight each other before they actually like work together. And, you know, that always just makes for like, you know, a fun team book when there's like it's a good matchup, but there's also a little bit of tension, you know. So I, I this could be fun. I, I'm, I'm actually really excited for this. I love what Marvel's been doing. They're kind of resurrecting some of their older brands and different things like that with Marvel Knights coming back and Marvel What If. So this feels this feels like it's another step in that direction. And I'm excited to see these characters uh, together, especially because it's been so long since they've done this and everyone is in such a different... I mean, the Hulk... And Doctor Strange and Silver Surfer and Namor are very different characters than the last time that they all met together. So it's going to be very cool to see how this all sets up. And I love the fact that Al Ewing is sort of spearheading this, even though I've been critical of him in the past. What he's doing with the Immortal Hulk right now is incredible. So I'm excited to see this. Sean, is this... um so is this taking the the current characters and and putting them back on the team or is it sort of um looking back at them it's taking the current characters and putting them together oh interesting okay okay yeah reunited and it feels so uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> It feels so, uh. <laughs> that was kind of weak, but all right. <laughs> so Marvel also announced that Riri Williams 
will be getting her own series once again. But this time, uh, she'll actually have her name in the title. Yay! Uh, Last time, her title was Iron Man, but she was the main star. This time, it's called Riri Williams' Ironheart. Cool. So... That's on its face. That's cool. Uh, her costume has been totally redesigned from the ground up. Uh, and uh, it's actually being written by first-time comics writer Eve L. Ewing. And it's going to be drawn by Kevin LaBranda. Uh, so Eve Ewing had this to say about her comic book debut and what she wants to inject into the series. She was born and raised in Chicago, but because she's a superhero, her adventure takes her all over the place. She also had a lab at MIT that's also kind of her headquarters. Her mom still lives in Chicago. I decided specifically that she's from South Shore. Previous writers put in so much in terms of beginning her autobiographical details, but as a Chicagoan, I want to get down and dirty. Like, where did Riri go to high school? What bus does she take? None. She can fly. Does she eat hot chips? These are the things (laughs) that are really going to make her a full three-dimensional character. I'm really excited about putting in some of those little Chicago details. Now, on its face, I love that, right? That sounds fantastic that you're getting a genuine Chicago writer, a black woman, who, who will have more of an understanding of what Riri's upbringing would have been like especially since she is a young girl, so she's still growing up, uh, someone who can inject some real-world feel to this book. That's all good. But I do have a problem with this. My problem is that Eve does not have prior comic book writing chops. Uh, I, I did some research into her because I was very curious. I found that she's written one uh, one novel but it's it's not it's not exactly a novel. It's it's kind of a mix of some poetry and some some different stuff. Um, and she definitely has clout in her world. Uh, she's a very esteemed, you know, sort of writer about different subjects, but just not not nonfiction. Or I'm sorry, not fiction. Um, so if you want, will Riri to be a character that people gravitate towards and that people celebrate and you want this book to succeed is the best way to do that to put someone who doesn't have a name that comic book readers will recognize on the title. We've seen with America how that book, you know, people celebrated it, but it wasn't exactly doing gangbusters in sales and we had problems, or at least Marco and I had problems with it, for some of the ways that it portrayed uh, Latin people. I think it's tough to say for sure about that kind of thing until we see what she does. Because, you know, I feel like you could make the same... I guess it's not exactly the same, but, like, Ta-Nehisi Coates had never written a comic before. You know, before he did Black Panther. And his first arc was, like, shaky... But it, but he got there, you know, and like, and we really liked what he did with Black Panther and his Captain America has been good so far too. And, and we've seen that he's grown a lot as a comics writer, that he's like understands the, uh, the medium better now. So 
you know, I think I think your mileage may vary on how this ends up playing out when you bring in some of these people that aren't like from this world. But to your point, Sean, um, if you want to get, you know, a view that's authentic to who Riri is as a character, like, you know, like going outside of the the traditional realm of comics writers and finding new blood uh, is is probably a good way to do that, you know, and I think it's just going to be a matter of how she executes, you know, like I imagine that she's done other fictional writing that Marvel has seen, you know, that, that she is, you know, maybe done a spec script for them. Like, you know, they must have some level of, of faith in her, you know, based on what they've seen. And I think ultimately we've just got to see how it plays out and if it's good, you know, because I think it really, it could go either way. You know, um, I think to, to Sean's point, and then I'm just going to add with like something that I had thought. Um, but if, you know, we want Riri Williams to to succeed as a character, needing bringing on somebody who does have that clout in the comics world is definitely going to help. Um, but my my first thought was, OK, they're splitting out this character from Iron Man. Um, she is a diverse, she's a, she's a black character. It's a, it's a diverse character within Marvel. They're bringing on a, uh, a writer who is a woman and who is uh, a black woman. And this is based on just what we've seen from Marvel is not going to succeed. Um, because we've seen these sort of characters, these sort of characters and these writers, um, their runs get canceled quick. Uh, and, and, you know, if we do want these characters to succeed, having those sort of writers come in to combat the fact that they are newer writers, uh, or sorry, that they are newer creators, um, I don't know, there's just this, I, I'm just afraid it's not going to succeed ba- based off of what we've seen previously with Marvel. Um, and that is something that I'm sort of disappointed in the direction that they've taken with splitting out this character. Do you think that the same people, though, that are that would like this kind of book, right? Like you said, like has a a track record for being canceled. But like, do you think that it would do any better if there was like another name on the book that they had recognized? Or do you think it's like the nature of Riri as a character that also is going to like play into you feeling that way? Because traditionally these newer, like more diverse characters have had uh, trouble finding their, or not finding success, but like having enough success to maintain a monthly book. For that, I kind of look at something like Miss Marvel, but Miss Marvel is sort of a diamond in the rough in that where it sort of blew up. And so I don't feel like there's like a real comparison necessarily. Um, And I think with another set of creators, it would have at least given it a longer shot. And obviously we we haven't seen it yet. We're we're not going to see it for a little bit, but I think with those other, with other creators, uh, it would have at least gotten uh, more of a shot and maybe people would be more attracted to come and actually read it. So, and now, now I'm just asking follow up questions. But what what do you think about the idea of like so they have they have identified this uh, this writer right, and instead of putting her on Ironheart, maybe it would make sense to give her like an established IP like Coates had Black Panther, um, as opposed to like a newer character. Are you asking if that that would have been more successful as an introduction for her as a creator or? 
Yeah, like if if this was their goal, right? If they wanted her to write Ironheart, do you think it would have made sense to have given her something else before that to try and, you know, establish her name and show that she has chops? Or do you think like that doesn't matter and it would need to be somebody who is already like a name, like, you know, a Gail Simone, a Kelly Sue, like somebody like that? Uh, I think that it could go both ways, but I think more more often than not, a, a more effective way to introduce a creator might be to give them a, a bigger book. It's like, oh, this is somebody who's coming with fresher ideas. And because they're an established IP, um, it may affect sales, but they can pull a writer pretty quick or an artist pretty quick and pivot in the event where they don't see that success. But where they in the event that they do, they could that writer will now have that sort of uh that history and will have that practice where being just thrown onto Riri Williams like it doesn't allow that so a, a couple things number one when Ta-Nehisi Coates took over Black Panther Black Panther didn't have a solo series and the last one that he had before that was not necessarily something that people were like really that into um, and Ta-Nehisi Coates was also a big name, just not in comics. They, 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 they got someone who, who really at that time was very popular and people desperately wanted to hear what he had to say about this character, especially at that time when we knew that he was going to be, um, uh, you know, coming out in civil war and that he had just had a huge turn in Secret Wars, the comic book. Marvel had been trying to elevate his profile, and bringing on Ta-Nehisi Coates for that made a lot of sense. But even then, there was trepidation because, again, any comics comics is not the same as writing anything else. It's, it's different in a sense. It, it's different for obvious reasons. So, uh, you know, it was sink or swim. He was able to swim, but he almost sank. And now he's writing Captain America and all is well with the world. This situation is different because this is a character, Riri, who people, you know, there's a lot of stock in her, but she also hasn't been written by anybody other than Bendis in the solo series format. So you're going from Bendis with the title Iron Man to... Eve, who, for all intents and purposes, is a good writer, just not proven in comics, in Iron Heart, which is a different matter. So it, it's it's a tough one. And then also the Miss Marvel comparison. Miss Marvel was a character who, I mean, what other Pakistan? I believe she's Pakistani. She's I believe so. Yeah, she's Muslim. What other Muslim character can you think of? that has a solo series at all you know all- uh, dude i can't even think of another muslim right. superhero period off the top of my head you know Is it like one of the green lanterns now yes mm-hmm. now okay okay and uh so so there's that and then also the miss marvel name is typically associated with carol danvers Titles that have a legacy name tend to do better, even if the character in it is not the original character that we know. So there's a lot of reasons why this is different. And I look, I just want to say this. 
I want to see this book succeed for a million reasons. But I have this feeling based on what I have seen happen at Marvel that there's a chance that this will go the way of America or whatever else where, you know, they're doing things with good intentions, but at the end of the day, they're not setting the book up to succeed numbers-wise. Or even quality-wise. We don't know. So, that's just where I stand. Yeah, it's going to be really interesting to see what what it looks like. Because I think if the quality is there and it doesn't succeed, then it speaks to what you guys are talking about. That they just set the book up for failure um, by not knowing their audience, I guess, well enough. You know, like, having good intentions, but not thinking about, like, the property realistically. Whereas if it's, like, America and the quality's not there, then, at least, you know, in your guys' opinion, um, I haven't heard anybody stand up for that book, so <laughs> I assume your opinions are right. Um, that, you know, that speaks for itself, right? Like, if the book isn't good, the book isn't good. It doesn't deserve a place on the shelf. But if it's good and people don't buy it, you know, that speaks probably to a broader issue with like how these characters need to be built up and when is the appropriate time for you to give a new writer a new IP. Yeah. And and to be honest, listen, Marvel knows far better than me how to, you know, give writers a push, how to develop how to try to develop new characters and all that jazz. So who am I? But they've tried this before, hasn't really worked. We'll see. Yeah, I mean, I think you guys have raised a lot of good points, you know, um, because there are examples of this working uh, in both scenarios. But I think the the point that you're making is like every other case where it's been successful, there have been other things moving in a positive moment, uh, giving the book, the character or the writer positive momentum in a way that doesn't seem to be present here. We'll see. Yeah, wish them the best of luck. Absolutely. So this this one is interesting. Walmart is partnering with a digital book publisher. Uh, I guess they, they manufacture e-readers, and um, Walmart is 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 partnering with them to sell e-readers and have a whole library of digital books. So Walmart eBooks will offer. All of Kobo, that's the company that they're partnering with, all of Kobo's 6 million titles, which includes tons of comics from Marvel, Image, and, and, and everybody else. Um, so they're going to be selling these e-readers at all of their locations. Well, 3,500 locations. I don't know if that's if that's all the locations that Walmart has, but... Uh, 3,500. No. No? <laughs> Definitely not. <laughs> uh, right? That can't be. I don't know, man. That's a big number, but this is a big country. Uh, so Walmart eBooks app is available now on iOS and Android devices, as well as Kobo e-readers. What interests me about this is the question of, does this mean anything for comics? And before you guys jump in, I want to add the fact that, of course, Walmart has recently partnered with DC to sell 
comics, or at least the you know the the bigger sort of magazine sized comics that they have been selling. And I'm wondering if there's a possibility that the relationship between them and DC goes so well that they integrate this new partnership with Kobo and their partnership with DC into, hey, we are one of the hubs for DC Comics in the e-reader space, in the digital space. Uh, yeah, I, I absolutely think that's what's, what's going to happen. Uh, if, if this works, right? Like, if this service takes off and it's a legitimate competitor to, you know, the Amazon mm-hmm. Kindle mm-hmm. kind of, like, stranglehold on the e-reader space... Yeah, dude, there's every every fucking reason to believe that. And I don't even think it would just be with DC. Like you said, there's already a relationship there, so it would probably be DC first. But if there's already Marvel and Image books on this other platform that they're that they're working with and there's money to be made there, you better fucking believe that the other publishers are going to wise up and bring their books to that platform. Why wouldn't you? And we've all talked about it. Like Comixology is the best solution for digital comics right now. And it's severely lacking in a lot of, a lot of things. You know, there's a lot of quality of life stuff and like just little things that have made it. It's the best, but a lot of people I think would be willing to jump ship if there was something better. And whether that's having a, be- uh, a bigger selection or, you know, or better deals or, or whatever it is, you know, however they need to sweeten the pot. Um, I think even just with like a better interface, better, you know, a better UI, better quality of life choices, like all of those things are enough to, I think, make people jump ship or think about this for the first time. Because why wouldn't you? And Walmart, you know, has a lot, has had a lot of success in spaces like this, you know, like you look at all of the other big box stores that are out there. Walmart's the only one that has had a good online presence basically as long as that's been a thing you could do, you know, they're, they're definitely a a, a tech. uh, They're a forward thinking company when it comes to tech often. So the idea of them using their massive fucking cash reserves to make something like this work and be a legitimate competitor to Amazon in the same way that their .com is a legitimate competitor to Amazon uh, as an online retailer is not only like possible, but probably likely. You know, if they want this, they have enough money to, to push it and, and to really try to make it better than what's available. And when there's only one other game in town, it's not that hard to set up shop and do a few things better and get your own audience and get that ball rolling. Cause that's all it takes is people to see that it's legitimate and then other people will do it. So I just downloaded the app. Um, (laughs) (laughs) uh, It does not have Swamp Thing. That was the first thing I searched for. Um, It does have uh, though Spider-Man. uh, it has a novel. It has a couple of novels, um, but it also has some runs like Craven Last Hunt here, uh, Spider-Man Dying Wish, uh, Brand New Day Volume 3 by Dan Slott, uh, Ends of Earth. So it, it looks like it has some some uh, like material here. It's just not expansive. And I'm assuming 
as the relationship continues to grow, it'll it'll get larger. Um, we'll have more. Let me check Batman right now. Actually, I didn't think to do that. Um, yeah, like Batman. Oh, actually, no. Batman just has books. Does not have comics here. <laughs> Interesting. So, like, I don't even know. Uh, Wait, this book service only has books about Batman? You mean I can't, like, mail order, like, a Batmobile or a Batcopter? Like, no, like no comics. Oh, okay. Um, well, DC specifically was not listed in the article that I read from. They didn't list DC as being a part of this, like, as having a relationship with Kobo. Oh, yeah, interesting. That's our okay. speculation. Uh, there are some image comics here, Tenth Muse. And the point is, I I don't know that this is going to be a competitor to Comicsology as of yet. Uh, uh, there's going to be time. In in time, we'll probably see as this partnership grows. Um, also, Walmart has its own e-reader app. That uh, as I was looking through the app store, it I was kind of confused as to why they would maybe switch to this unless there's you know better tech and what to what people were saying better UI and stuff like that. So um, I don't know. That's got to be yeah, it. It's you know they're they're probably partnering with Kobo because they have good technology and Walmart has reach and right. Money. So um, I I I guess my opinion will change as this continues to develop. But as of right now, it does not have Swamp Thing, so this is shite. Wow. <laughs> I don't I don't know what to make of this. Uh, one way or the other, I'm just interested to see how this develops in a year from now mm-hmm. or two years from now. Yeah, yeah, man. It's going to be really interesting to see what their goal is here. Yeah. You know, because I think its success is totally dependent on what Walmart's end game is because, like, it's like when we talked about the Google console on VGP that one time where it's like, if they they want this, like, they've got the money, you know, like. They, they can certainly throw a lot of money in this hole and 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 try to fucking make something happen here. And if it works, they'll make a shitload of money back. And again, this is not only comics. So this could maybe it's it's possible that this that they're doing this not with comics on their mind at all. I'd be shocked if that were the case, specifically because of the DC relationship. But this may not even affect the comic book world. So we have to really see what they want to do. And uh, I think this is one to watch closely. Yeah, absolutely. This next one is sad and complicated and a little muddy. We're going to do our best to navigate these waters here because IDW has a problem. Uh, Lisa Bloom, who is a, civil rights lawyer who has represented women in sexual abuse and harassment claims for the last few decades has been hired to go against IDW president and publisher Greg Goldstein. So there's been a lot of shifting going on over at IDW over the last, boy, uh, over the last few months that I've seen. A lot of people leaving the company, lots of people being elevated and different things like that. Um, just a bunch of different shifts. Now, this guy in particular, uh, and the reason why Lisa Bloom is involved in this is because a former IDW staffer 
has made allegations of sexual harassment against um, against Goldstein. So the reason why this is kind of interesting is in part because we don't know who has made these accusations, uh, but also because Lisa Bloom has been one of the primary lawyers defending women in cases of the Me Too movement, including against Bill Cosby. However, she was she decided to stand by Harvey Weinstein and was his lawyer uh, early on when everything came to light about him. Oh, interesting. So I think there's a there's a belief about her that she kind of has been trying to stay relevant and jump around. Uh, and the fact that she was with Harvey Weinstein throughout that process is kind of mind-blowing. She does speak to why she chose to do that. Uh, and I'll, I'll read that briefly uh, here in just a moment. But the fact that she's on this case, this IDW case, makes me feel like she believes that there's something major here worth tackling. So this is what she said. And this, again, is regarding the Harvey Weinstein situation. I saw this as a unique opportunity to change the way these stories go. In the case of Donald Trump, in the case of Bill O'Reilly, in the case of Bill Cosby, it's always the same playbook. When the story comes out, attack the accuser, deny, 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 and fight like hell. Having represented a lot of those accusers, I know how damaging it is to them, how hurtful, how scary. It's emotionally devastating. Because I had had that experience so many times with so many women, I thought changing the response from the accused to immediately apologizing, expressing remorse, vowing to do better, and never disrespecting the accusers would be a good thing for the victims. Now that's really interesting because I don't know that that's necessarily how Harvey Weinstein handled himself. Although I will say that I do recall him saying he apologized if anyone had been affected or hurt, but that he, you know, never sought out to sexually assault anyone. So it's possible that her influence did impact how he was publicly. But in any event, that is outside of the scope of, the, of, of comics. Focusing on the IDW situation, what do you guys think about this? Because IDW has been in a weird spot lately, and this could be really bad for them. I have two thoughts. One, yeah. um, like good on her for pursuing, you know, a, a potential sexual harasser. Um, and two, shit, man, IDW ain't got no money. Like, what do you, what do you, what are you trying, what are you trying to get at? <laughs> Uh, th oh, that that concludes my my thoughts. <laughs> oh, <Yeah>. great. okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, I I think you know I think this is obviously a uh, a delicate situation, but it's not ultimately a surprising one to me. You know, like we've we've seen allegations like this come out uh, against people in similar positions at other major publishers in the comics industry. Like you know, I think we all know that comics, you know. Uh, has traditionally been a bit of a boys club. So the idea that a powerful, you know, CEO or, you know, anybody, even just any executive, right? Like at a company like this, being accused of sexual harassment is like not at all surprising to me. I think to Marco's joke, uh, the fact that this caliber of attorney 
is involved in the case is what makes it so interesting that like you know i don't i don't know this this woman at all so i like you said some people have this idea that she's just trying to stay relevant you know some people might you know take her uh at, at face value and believe that her goals are truly altruistic i don't know but knowing her track record as an attorney i she must smell blood in the water you know and whether that's because she's looking for a payday or because she genuinely cares about you know, the trying to help these victims. Uh, I, I doubt she would be involved in the case if there was no fire where there's this smoke, yeah. you know, like I, I imagine that this is the first time we're talking about this, but I bet I bet there's going to be a, a big old, exp, you know, exposing of what's been going on at, on at IDW and the fact that they've been marred in a decent amount of controversy over the last year or so, we've, you know, discussed some of, you know, the the other challenges that they've, that they've been having as a publisher on the show quite a bit. And uh, oof, it's it's not looking good for them right now. And especially like when you consider that, you know, what what was it just last week or two weeks ago when we talked about that partnership that they were supposed to be making with Marvel? Um, you know, it's like if if things are are really really going poorly for them in other ways i wouldn't be surprised if we saw them get gobbled up or you know or 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 worse <laughs> it's it's been a, it's been rough going of it for them lately and their position is not stable enough in the industry to be you know impervious to all this it's got to be hurting their bottom line yeah, and and I do want to say that just because this person was accused doesn't mean they did anything. But the fact of the matter is that having your name, the name of IDW, in the headlines like this with your president and publisher being accused of something like this is just bad. It's just bad PR, and it doesn't look it doesn't look good for them. And it it's the kind of thing that can affect sales, especially when. They've had other situations. Aubrey Sitterson has, you know, look, there are a lot of people who don't like him for invalid reasons. There are a lot of people who don't like him for valid reasons. Either way, his book is canceled. And that upset people, but it also made some people happy. They had a book by Max Landis that... Um, oh, just real quick. It wasn't by Max Landis. It was based on his TV show. Oh. Yeah, he was doing Jeffy. a show for like... Dirk Gently. It was for, like, BBC or something yeah. like that. And it got canceled, I think, after the sexual assault allegations came out against him. Right. Yeah. So now that book is also canceled. Exactly. So there's just this history there. And I'm not saying that, you know, it doesn't necessarily mean that because they've had these prior situations that, oh, yeah, it makes total sense. It's not a one plus one equals two type situation necessarily. What I am saying is that when your name is only ever brought up for negative reasons, it probably doesn't, it's probably not doing well for you financially. Not no. And I, I just want to say, sorry to interrupt Marco, but what you just said, Sean, um, you don't, you're not saying that, but I bet a lot of people are, I bet a lot of people are like, Oh, well, remember that other thing that happened there. And this other thing that happened there totally makes fucking sense. Fuck IDW. It's an easy narrative. If you're somebody who thinks that way, you know, 
And that's all that fucking matters. It's all about perception. If people perceive your company to be that way, if they think of IDW as, oh, they're the ones that canceled that book and gave in to the right wing people and, you know, whatever. And like, or, or they're that place with the SJW books, you know, like it doesn't even fucking matter which side of the argument you fucking land on. It's so easy to just hear just these headlines, not really know the whole story and say, well, fuck IDW. Yep. And in, in this, we talked about it on the Aubrey Sitterson episode that we did, which go check that out. It was a great one. Um, that like comics are already razor thin. The margins are razor thin and you can't afford that. You can't afford to, to have that kind of shit associated with your name. And it doesn't matter if it's true. The, the, the narrative is there now. Yeah. So unfortunate for IDW because this guy aside, we don't know what kind of human he is, but just throwing him aside for a moment. There are a lot of great people who work there, who pay their bills there. So you never want to see this kind of thing happen because it will affect the people who are making a lot less than Greg is a lot more. It will affect them a lot more. So I I wanted to, to talk about Tom Taylor, specifically Tom Taylor of Injustice comic book fame, because that series is coming to a close. And he had a lot of things to say about this uh, this you know book that really kind of put him on the map coming to an end. Um, he wrote a very lengthy post on Facebook about this, uh, about the, the, the end of this book. And the reason why I wanted to bring it up is because Injustice, the comic, represents a big success and a very, very unique success. I, I want to I read a little bit of his words before we move forward. I've often heard it said that traditionally, game tie-in comics aren't incredibly well thought of. But Ed Boon, Sean Kittleson, Dominic Ciancalio, and their team created a great game, and as far as I was concerned, I was being handed my own universe to play in, full of characters I worshipped like Green Lantern, Black Canary, Green Arrow, Batgirl, Nightwing, Harley Quinn, and more. And I wasn't going to waste my shot at the characters I loved, the characters I'd grown up with. I was going to tell the best story I could. Now, Tom Taylor is absolutely right. People don't think highly of comic book tie-ins to anything. In fact, I stopped buying comic book tie-ins to anything a really, really long time ago. It uh, Because you get burned. A lot of times, they're throwaways, they're cash-ins, they don't add anything. Oftentimes, if anything, they, they, they remove, they take away from what is quality elsewhere. The Injustice games are great. The, comics book, the comic books could have easily sucked. But Tom Taylor brought a level of quality to those books that actually elevated the content of the games. And if you're a fan of the games, reading the books, it adds a lot more color to that world if you really care about it just beyond the fighting sequences within the game itself. Also, I think they're unique in that even if you don't give a shit about Injustice, they're actually just good. Like, they, it's, a, it's a good comic in its own right. And first. it doesn't need, yeah, like it doesn't, it doesn't need the material that it spun off from to, to be what it is. 
And like that is so unique. There is so few things that are like comic tie-ins. Like you can't say that about anything else because they're tie-ins. You know, this actually feels just like its own separate but complementary work. Absolutely. And Tom Taylor has gone on to write for Marvel. Uh, he's done a lot of great work over there. Um, he's currently writing X-Men Red, I believe. And that's really good. So just I, 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 I added this just because I wanted to say hats off. Fantastic job. This is a book that also helped launch the career of Christopher Sabella because it was so good that it spawned tie-in series as well. So the Injustice comic really has been uh, a quiet juggernaut in a lot of ways. And Tom Taylor did a phenomenal job. Ed Boone, everybody at um, NetherRealm. And uh, just a a win for comics. A, a, A unique victory i'll say shit and for video games because a lot of time like traditionally superhero games not that great and that game is excellent so but just like good job everybody yeah <laughs> like congratulations on this incredible success and it's been a great ride you know marco what do you have to say about this uh i only read like one or two issues um i don't own the game i'm trash agreed yeah yeah i'll endorse that so next up i i another celebratory news item uh um writer brian hill's run on detective comics has come to an end after a few issues but only because he's moving on to write batman and the outsiders Yes, he's getting his his own series to write, a long-term series, hopefully, with art by Dexter Soy. Um, it doesn't have a release date quite yet, but I'm really excited because the seeds were sown within the Detective Comics series for Brian's issues for this to happen. And so the fact that we're getting... The Outsiders coming back but with a very different group, a very cool group uh, of Batman, Black Lightning, The Signal, just, just some really interesting characters. Uh, I'm, I'm excited for this. And Marco, I know you're a fan of Hills as well, so I thought maybe you would be interested in this too. Uh, yeah, I was going to ask, uh, did you read his Detective Comics stuff? Yes. How is it? Love it. Sweet. Okay. It's, it's awesome. So uh, He, yeah. He brings a different. <laughs> I'm in, baby. He, he brings a, a different <laughs> energy to it, and we know that Hill's good because Postal's great. Yeah, yeah. And uh, this just felt vibrant and not l- quite like anything that I had seen in Batman in a while, mm-hmm. and that was really refreshing. Cool. No, uh, I mean, this was definitely when I like first heard it. He was moving on, and I think actually. Isaac might have mentioned like a year or two ago um, that, you know, Brian Hill was going to be growing and, and doing some cool stuff with uh, with DC. So like it's awesome to sort of see that uh, and be able to, to track his career like that, uh, knowing that he, you know, starting off on Postal and like some other miscellaneous things and TV things. And like now he's doing his own series uh, for a DC property, which is insane. So um, 
just based on your recommendation alone and knowing that Brian Hill is an awesome writer, like I'm, I'm definitely going to pick up uh, his detective comics run and um, this outsider stuff. Cause I, I mean, I don't know the outsiders and if I want to be introduced to them as characters, I want it to be done with Brian Hill. Yeah. And I think you may like the, the team just because the outsiders are traditionally a cast of characters that do Batman's, bidding in a sense but outside the reins and scope of having to worry about what the justice league thinks or you know whatever ah okay uh so they're kind of like his you know suicide squad and uh, not, you lost not really me. not really but what are what are we some kind of <laughs> suicide squad <laughs> No, but they're, they're his X-Force. They're his, you know, that yeah. kind of, that, that idea. Yeah. Okay, okay. Yeah. Okay, that's cool. Uh, and, and Brian Hill also has American Carnage coming out really soon through Vertigo, yes. which I'm really excited for. Pumped. And uh, I can't recall specifically, but I believe he's got something Marvel related in the works. I believe that's the case. Mm, I don't, I so, don't remember, but potentially, yeah. Yeah, so really just great news for him, and I'm excited that he's on the come up. He's uh, one of two black writers that I can happily follow and say that their books are great. <laughs> so uh, it's a win. So uh, to end the show, or rather to go into our main topic, there's a few things. Nope, show's over. Bye. All right, well, See you guys. It's been real. <laughs> Thanks for listening. There, there are a few stories recently that have been pretty controversial on the part of both Marvel and DC. Things happening within their books that people have taken umbrage with, uh, with and have caused outrage, which is not uncommon within the comic book community. However, this time, maybe there's some validity to some of the complaints. And so what I want to do is we're going to go over these situations and examine them each separately and answer the age-old question of, should comic books reflect the real world or should they be a safe haven for all people to escape reality? Now, we've dealt with similar topics before, especially on the political spectrum, but I'd rather shy away from the political element here just because these stories don't really have anything to do with that and just address the general question once we dive into the specific topics that people are so mad about. And the first one is the one that happened um, the the earliest, which is a couple of weeks ago now, uh, in Batman number 53... A lot of people took a certain scene to mean that Batman revealed himself to be an atheist. Now, I'll, I'll, I'll discuss the scene and I'll read from it because I did read this book. Uh, so, the comic is basically about Mr. Freeze's murder trial. Uh, he's accused of having killed three women and Bruce Wayne gets himself onto the jury because he actually and and i should say there's there's full spoilers so you really care that maybe you don't want to hear this but it's it's not 
none, none of this is is crazy. Like it's all kind of known if you know what's going on in the book. Um, but he gets himself on the jury because he wants to help Mister Freeze, even though he's the one who caught him in the first place. So, in the book, he's trying to sway the jurors to convince them that Batman is infall is not infallible. That Batman is not God. That Batman makes mistakes. There's a woman who has a cross on her neck, and he makes reference to it. And she asks him, "Do you believe in God?" And uh, Bruce says, "I used to." And he goes on to talk about how uh, he lost his belief or set it aside when his parents were murdered, and that he put he started to put his belief in other things. We obviously know that Batman is that other thing. Satanism. <laughs> <laughs> and he he uh he talks about how Batman sort of becomes his god in a sense, but obviously he leaves out the part that he is Batman. Um but it's Basically, a lot of people have read this to mean that he is not a believer in God anymore and that that makes him an atheist. And that upset a lot of people, people saying, well, you should keep that conversation out of comics, etc., etc. Tom King has since responded to this and on Twitter said, a lot of people saying Batman 53, which I wrote, shows Batman as an atheist. That's not how I read that comic, but I don't think my reading of it is the most important one. Anyway, I hope you read the whole thing for yourself and decide for yourself. Well, that's great advice on King's part. I read it, and I already knew about the controversy, so I couldn't escape the thought. But if I hadn't known, I don't think that I would have gone there immediately. Because there's so much more that he's talking about that that line is just a, such a small piece of it, uh, and especially in the context of Batman having lost his relationship with Catwoman, him feeling lost in general, he says he has no, he doesn't know what to believe in. He's lost himself. It's very emotional. It's a great comic. You should pick it up. But what do you guys think about the idea of even just the allusion to Bruce Wayne's belief in? whatever god do you think that it has a place in comics have you ever cared what bruce wayne believed in in any way and do you think that people are right to be mad about it no <clears throat> people are not right to be mad about it and if you if you care this much about a fictional character's religious beliefs i kind of think that like you need some perspective because this is a fictional character, guys. We're talking about Batman, and, like, maybe that's easy for me to say because I'm an atheist, but to me, it's like, like, Daredevil's Catholic, right? I'm not Catholic. I still like Daredevil, you know? And, like, the story is interesting because of how it uses Catholicism, and, like, the fact that, like, religion is not a major theme in Batman, um, at least not consistently, like... You know, I think that probably says all you need to know about Bruce's religious beliefs, right? That, like, even if he did believe in God, he's not, like, a devout man 
You know, so like if you care that much about him being a, a a Christian or believing in God or something like that, like it just feels like inconsistent. Like, why does that really matter? You know, like he's not he's not a real person, you know, like I just I can't imagine being so bent out of shape about this that it is like seen as controversial, you know, to say that Batman, a man who is defined by murder and loss and tragedy doesn't believe in God. Okay. Yeah. I buy that. Yeah. And it doesn't like people. Yeah. Shouldn't be mad. And it doesn't necessarily paint any different a picture of Batman. So I uh, net net. I agree. It, it doesn't matter necessarily. And to those people who are affected. Um, yeah. To what Pete said, like take a step back. Uh, Miss Marvel is Muslim, you know, like as well. So like, what does it matter aside from it providing um, potentially additional context to a story if the primary focus is religion? If not, then it's sort of secondary and ancillary. Yeah, and the idea that this should like not be present in comics is also dumb. Yeah. Because then what you're asking for is characters that are not th- that are not three-dimensional, that are not fleshed out. You know, every like even if it's not expressly stated, like you as a writer should know how your character feels about big things like religion. You know, like religion is really important to a lot of people and it's really not important to a lot of other people. And I think its importance in your life um, like impacts you as a person and the way that you see the world and the way that you interact with people. And like, you know, your value system and knowing that about a fictional character is valuable to getting to understand them better and to make them more real and more human. And um, I just, you know, I I just don't understand caring enough about that to. But maybe it's just because I don't really care. I don't care about people's religion. You know, whatever your religion is, as long as you're not using it as a weapon against other people, um, your beliefs are fine with me. So. It doesn't matter to me if Batman's an atheist or a Buddhist, you know? It's like, you know, is he a decent person? That's what I'm interested in. So maybe that's maybe that's why I come down on it where I do. Yeah. So, and, sorry. Uh, I, I was just going to add, like, to what um, Sean had said also. Like, there's also additional context that, you know, obviously Pete and I aren't privy to because we haven't read the issue. Um, so um, these are just takes based off of that. And, um, I, you know, I, I did hear about this and I was like, oh, that's kind of interesting. And, you know, it, it seemed like it was sort of inflated to be something much more serious and much more, um, controversial to the extent where like I tried to dig it up. Uh, I, I couldn't find it in my local shop, but, um, I was just curious to, to read it, to, to get that understanding. Um, and to what Tom King said, like, if you perceived it in that way, you perceived it in that way, but don't or maybe i shouldn't even be directing it but like think back and and reflect and just be like is this important enough to the character and to the story um and if it is then fine then you feel that way and then that's the way that you're processing it but if not then whatever so i actually had a a reaction to this that i was surprised by because when i first read this controversy 
I, I read the controversy before I read the book, and I was like, wow, I don't like that. I I don't I'd never thought about what Batman where he landed on religion and I kind of don't want to know because it's not important to the character it's not he's not Daredevil he's not Miss Marvel he's not whoever to where religion is a part of them and a defining trait for Batman the defining trait is Batman Batman is God as far as that comic is concerned and so I never thought about that. And when I first read it, I was like, why? Why do we need to know? Let that let that live. Let that character live without defining him in that way. Uh, partially because it is alienating. There, there are people who would read that and go, well, then that, that recontextualizes Batman for me. And, you know... It, it doesn't necessarily for me, but I could see how it would for other people. I think you're going far if you're like, you know, extremely angry about it. I think you're going pretty far. But yeah, like fucking tweeting at Tom King about it. Like, <laughs> but I think, well, hey, people tweet about less, right? People people get mad about yeah. less. Uh, but I think get a podcast and complain about it on your own show, like the rest of us. <laughs> I think that. If you really love Batman and you are a Christian person or whatever, or a Catholic person, and you find out that this character who you've idolized forever doesn't share your beliefs or is kind of opposed to them in the sense that they just they're they're not real to him, then I could, I guess I could see how that might change the way you see that character. Uh and so when I first read it, I was like, man, I don't know about that. But when I read the comic, I had a different experience because it, it's clear it's clear that what he's talking about and where he's coming from is a is a real place of less about the question of is God real or not and more the question of or the reality of my life was completely destroyed and I no longer believe in anything because I'm so fractured. That's a different thing. And well, and I think also just looking at the page, right? Like the other three panels that are even just cut out here on comicbook.com. Like he's having a conversation with the woman with the cross and she said, "I believe in God. I've attended church for 20 years. Is that a problem?" And he says, "No, never." Like obviously it's not him being like, "I'm an atheist and fuck you if you're a Christian and fuck God." It's like it's it's more nuanced than that. It, well, it's more nuanced than even in that page. It's 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 the the book itself handles that with gr- a lot of grace, and it's very clear that Bruce is well versed in religion, that he knows what he's talking about, and he never makes any disparaging comments. And it's not about his religious beliefs. It's not. It's easy to pull one panel, and ComicBook.com did a disservice to the book by pulling those specific panels because there's a lot more that goes into what he's saying and makes it very clear that it's not about that. And it's unfortunate that everyone is doing what comicbook.com did. So I came away feeling good about the book when I actually read it. And I think you got to read it to be able to judge it. If you have a problem with it, go buy it. 
uh, as for whether or not it has a place in comics, like if he if it was what everybody thinks it is, and if Batman was just saying I'm an atheist and I'm not about God, and that was like the the message, uh, would I have a problem with that? I don't know if I'd have a problem with it, it with regards to whether or not Tom King should do that, but. It, like I said, it it did make me feel strange in a way that I wasn't expecting. Yeah, for me, it all just comes down to the story. Like, if the story's good, you know? Like, if, if Tom King was just like, oh, this is my chance to really stick it to Christians or whatever, yeah, like, that would be a shitty thing to do. But, you know, like you said, like, there's a context for and a reason for why Batman feels that way. And, you know, I think, like, that's that's valid. You know, like, that's a totally valid thing to want to express uh especially given tom king's experience as a person like i wonder you know if that's representative of him as a writer right like maybe he saw shit while he was at war that changed the way he felt about god right like who knows and you know i think we should be open-minded enough to hear that perspective and have that conversation also we we talk a lot about representation on this show and within the comic book community in general and no matter how you feel about it, ultimately, atheism is – that's a real thing. There are a lot of people who are that. And why is it wrong for there to be a character who has those beliefs? It should be just as okay for that to be expressed by Batman, for example, as it is okay for uh, Matt Murdock to be Catholic. There's nothing wrong yeah, with that. Yeah, exactly. There shouldn't be anything exactly. wrong with that. And if, again, if representation is important to you, then that's that should be fine. Um, of course, we know that not all comic book readers are the most accepting people. So there what? you go. Although, <laughs> although in this particular case, I would argue that uh, that's not necessarily the question here. So what you're um, saying is Batman wasn't at the Baphomet statue unveiling in Arkansas? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know the no. I don't know that he really leaves Gotham much anyway. Oh, okay. That's fair. So next up is actually on the Marvel side of things because Champions 24, uh, which is being written by Jim Zub, is going to deal with school shootings and, you know, general gun violence in schools. Um, Zub wanted to tackle this issue and uh, I'll, I'll read for you guys his, his reasoning. Earlier this year, I talked to Tom Brevoort about writing a Champions issue on the effect of gun violence in schools. Marvel has always strived to deliver the world outside our window, and this was too big a topic to ignore. Centered on Miles Morales, the story is about a tragedy and the trauma that ripples outward from senseless violence, and the people that come together to support each other to build a better future, which is the heart of every champion story. I'm incredibly proud of everyone's work on this issue, and I'm thankful we were given the chance to tell this story. So, uh, they actually had to replace the original cover to the book done by R.B. Silva. As you know, lots of times these covers are done well in advance and don't necessarily, they're not necessarily designed to actually reflect what's going to happen in the issue. Um, so it's very likely that this cover was drafted and done well before uh, Jim Zub decided on what was going to be done in Champions 24. And so now uh, 
they needed a new cover. So a lot of people don't want to see this. A lot of people are angry that the book is going to be dealing with gun violence. It's a hot-button topic in the United States, as it has been for 20 years since Columbine. And there are a lot of people who don't want to have to think about that while they're reading a book about teenagers. Where do you guys land? I mean, it's it's ironic because when they had the the March for Our Lives, it was very much teenagers coming up and talking about this. And if you know, these are the demographics that they're trying to hit with these kind of books. Like they're more than anyone are the ones affected by it, and they're the ones who have come up to speak up to speak out against it. And so, for people to try to suppress this, I think is ignorant. And it is hurtful in the long term because, you know, it's a reality that kids have to deal with this and that the, the thinking is, you know, oh, you know, we're just going through a, a normal monthly, what if there's a shooter code, what is it, like Aunt McBrown or something. Like, it, it's, it's unfortunate that kids have to deal with this. And if, to his point, they want these Marvel books to be, you know, a world outside of our window, then they need to be representative of that and uh i think that it's a it's a good it's a good move because these stories need to be told and that's important yeah i I think ignorant is exactly the right word for it marco uh this this like you said right sean they don't want to see this in a a book about teenagers well teenagers don't want to go to school and be worried about getting shot but guess what that's the world we live in so, yeah, like for a book that's about teenage superheroes to not um, acknowledge this is like, you know, it's it's not it's not representative of the real world. And like, regardless of what your opinion on it is, comics have always held a mirror to the real world. That's what all good fiction does. Um, And, you know, I think personally, I know... When I was a teenager, the thing that drew me to Spider-Man was having stories that felt representative of my experience, you know, that that I felt like I could connect with and feel, you know, um, just like that there are other people out there thinking and feeling the same way that I did. And when you think about the fact that there is, you know, like you said, the March for Our Lives and, you know, we've seen so much activism from from, you know, young kids really uh but teenagers who are dealing with this every single day getting to see you know um superheroes who you know are supposed to be these like powerful people right like even it says the solicitation for the issue is the champions grapple with the foe that all the superpowers in the world cannot vanquish and like that's a powerful thing you know watching a character that you look up to that you think of as this pillar of strength um dealing with real human problems that you have to deal with is valuable. And I think like trying to shy away from serious topics is, you know, it's to the detriment of the art and the the reader. Uh, This one, I really land where you guys are because at the end of the day, these kinds of stories are necessary. I'm not a teenager anymore. But I can imagine that if you are, one of the things that, that may be on your mind is, 
And it's just sad to say, but am I going to come to school and, and die today? Like, is somebody going to come with a gun and, and, and shoot, shoot the school up? Are my friends in danger? Am I at risk? If you're a parent sending your kid home, or sending your kid to school, rather, you're thinking, is my kid going to come home? And those are awful thoughts that you have to have. And of course, you don't necessarily want to be reminded of that on either end of the spectrum when you pick up a comic book. But at the same time, it may also provide solace for people who... Uh, have dealt with that or are worrying about that or whatever and it also may provide some some uh, more thought thoughtful perspective for people who maybe don't think about it enough because quite frankly we don't think about it enough so the reminder is welcome in my mind uh and again i can understand the feeling of god i i don't want to be confronted with this because this is I, I'm, I deal with this enough and I can understand that and maybe you skip this issue if that's what you feel like you have to do but I don't think that that means that the issue doesn't have the right to exist right yeah and, and, I, and I think you're right like if, if you are coming to this book purely for escapism I'm not judging you for that but for you to be mad that this story is being told is I think selfish uh yeah I, I agree. And uh, now for the most controversial, I think, one of them all. Uh, Brian Michael Bendis has been attacked uh, for the use of the word autistic in a derogatory manner in Action Comics number 1002. Uh, the word is used in a derogatory manner, by a villain, and quite a few people, some of whom are journalists in comics, some are readers, of course, um, some who have autistic children or are autistic themselves, uh, have come out and criticized Bendis heavily for his choice here. Uh, And uh, Bendis quickly responded and tweeted out um, a reaction to everyone who's been so upset. And I'll read his his response here. Yeah, it is an insult I can't stand. It has been said to me directly, and I put it in my work to illustrate its ugliness from an ugly character who got his immediate comeuppance. I do it in my work all the time. Russ, that's the individual who he was responding to, I'm sorry it hurt you. Next time, reach out. You know me. Uh, And then he put up a follow-up tweet which said i completely hear you i called my editor and told them to make sure it's not in any other printings it won't be in the trade language is tough when trying to be real you can be real hurtful you know it wasn't my intention and you helped me see a way to fix it thank you and then russ the individual who he was uh engaging with specifically said update on this since it's been going on all day after interacting with some folks in the thread Bendis says he asked editorial to remove the offending remark in future reprints collected editions. I appreciate his contrition and empathy, which I believe to be genuine. I agree that it's genuine, 100%. I don't think Bendis is going to lie, and I think his intentions were pure. My question to you guys is, does that have a place in comics? We know that that kind of word is used as a slur towards people, uh... Do you guys think that Bendis did the right thing 
or that that's okay to do in comics, specifically in superhero comics? Um, so this one I think is actually a lot more complicated because I think this is, this is a situation to me where context is everything. Uh, I think that using charged language or slurs, whatever you want to call them, uh, in art is only as good as the usage of the slur. Like, I, I don't believe that those words um, are, are words that should be in people's vocabulary. But I think Brian Michael Bendis's point is that, well, I, I had this character who's supposed to be, you know, a, a gross, like, vile person, right? And, and I use this in this way to illustrate that. And I think that can be a powerful tool. You know, and I don't think it's fair to um, project that onto Bendis to say that he's like, you know, ableist. You know, I don't, I don't think that's right. Um, that being said, I think I can see where Russ is coming from in this instance because it's Superman. And like, I'm not saying that. Like, obviously, I've argued in the past, I argued just in this very segment, that comics should be a place uh, to have deeper conversations. But Bendis didn't have a conversation. He had a character use a slur and then get his comeuppance, right? It wasn't used as an opportunity to talk about why that's an inappropriate thing to say or why... You know what I mean? So yeah. I think because of that, it feels to me more like lazy writing like than um than using it for with purpose. I guess if that makes sense. And and I and I don't even mean that like as a dig at Bendis, but I mean like that feels like a shorthand he chose to show us that this guy is shitty rather than doing something bigger than that. You know, um, trying to say more about his rather, no, rather than discussing autism. Sure, or something. right, and uh, and I think that's why this rubbed people the wrong way, and it's tough for me to say because I haven't read the issue. Like I'm going by the CBR article that we're looking at, and Russ's comments, and Bendis's reaction to it. Right, so um, I think this one is a is a way more delicate situation because. Context is so important because I I think of like a film like American History X, right, which uses racist language and Nazi imagery to say something about racism. And I don't think there's a problem with art that does that. But I think just having a character say a slur to get across that he's a bad guy. I understand why that rubs people the wrong way that the wrong way in a monthly Superman story. Like maybe this isn't the place for that conversation. It's interesting because um, as I was th- like to that that last thought, Pete, um, in like image books, like you know there are no censors, and so we I I'm sort of used to seeing that a lot more. Like there is that use of um, of explosive language, and but it's even then it's used in in a similar context to what. Um, 
to what Bendis used here. So like I'm sort of caught somewhere in the middle as to like where these sort of accept where these uh, exceptions lie. Um, I don't know. Like I I I definitely think to your point, like using it as a tool to to teach and to um, provide understanding is definitely the the right approach and one that helps move a conversation forward. Um, but just thinking back to like books that I've seen and, and, uh, the most recent one, um, uh, by Matt Lewinsky, uh, the freak, uh, it's basically a story about a character who is freakishly, um, just, uh, deformed and they're just wandering through a town trying to live and survive and are subjected to an immense number of slurs and hateful language. And so I... I, I I don't know I I don't know I don't know as of right now where I sit on this comment just because of the other ways I've seen it used in this in the medium. Um, that feels like a cop out as an answer, but no, I don't think it is. I I think it just speaks to the fact that this is a complex issue, and I, I think that like context is really important when you're trying to use. Like you said, explosive language or, or even just deal with delicate themes, right? Like sure. we talked about um, – what was that? The um, Chaken book. United States of oh. Hysteria. Yeah. Or dystopia. Whatever. Right, right. Exactly. Hysteria. Right. Or like that book did a lot of gross inflammatory things for shock value and people were rightfully critical of it. You know, whereas I think um, you can tell stories with similar themes – if you're trying to say something and use them in a way that is representative of, of some truth. And that is something that I don't think we should shy away from, but I think just tossing around language like that without purpose is, um, yeah, it's, it's just a bad look. So, uh, first of all, I think 99% of the time I would have no problem with this. Because the reality is that people use language like that in the real world. And if, if a character is bad and they're reflecting what bad people are like, they would do that. Uh, and there doesn't, there isn't purpose to why people use those words other than to hurt others. So if a character is trying to hurt someone, then it makes total sense to me that they would do that. And I, don't really think that we should shy away from that necessarily because we want to preserve people's feelings when you're reading about a character who doesn't care about feelings. Um, And in addition, I always find it very funny that people are okay with like, let's say, for example, if the same character were to cut somebody's head off, that's totally okay but if he uses a slur, well, that's a line too far. Personally, you can call me whatever you want as long as you don't murder me. That's where I land. So I I, I think that's a really interesting point to bring up. Um, and I think that is something that's just – it speaks to American culture. We're more comfortable with violence than dirty language or sex or sexuality, period. However, I also think that's not a – totally fair comparison because of that because we have that attitude of violence we don't look at it the same way and i think like uh having a character 
kill somebody to illustrate that they're a murderer is different than potentially contributing to the normalization of slurs. That's no, it's not contributing to any normalization. It's a bad guy doing a bad thing. That's completely different, and humans are equipped to tell the difference. When someone who's a piece of garbage does a garbage thing, you don't think, man, I want to go out and do that. Because, again, yeah, that's like, fair. if he was murdering somebody, that's not encouraging you to go do that. And I think that same argument is where people go and say, well, video games lead to violence, and that's not true. You can kill hookers in Grand Theft Auto. I've never done that, and I don't want to. So No desire. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so... Yeah. The the That's yeah, that's fair. The only problem and why this falls into the 1% category where I take issue with it is that I read the book. And in the comic, yeah, he does that. He 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 says that to one of his henchmen. Uh and then the character dies like a couple of panels later. So it's a throwaway. If this character was a character who's going to be recurring and he's going to be involved and, like, you want to build up. Like, if you want to build heat and you want to build up everybody kind of wanting to see this guy die, like, Superman get at him because he's a scumbag, I totally resonate with that. And I have no problem with that. But for him to have just said that and then died, like, a little bit later, it just felt like uh, for that, he could have said anything. Like, he, he you know, like... Yeah, why did you use that word then? I, well, yeah, like I get what Bendis was going for. I just feel like, hey, if you're gonna if you're gonna bring out the big guns, right? If you're gonna bring out the heavy machinery, w- commit. Why would you do that and then take the character away? Like, let me hate him. You know, if you're gonna really go there, let me hate him, build him up, and then let let me see Superman get him. Not, it's not even Superman who takes him out. It's something else happens. Let me see Superman get him. Let me feel good about the the most good character taking out a piece of trash who I now hate. Yep. And shit, man, like, how cool would it have been, too, if there was, like, some wrinkle in it where it's like, oh, like, this guy is, like, this fucking asshole, and he's, like, you know, saying all this negative shit or whatever, and it's, like, you know, you have Superman come and just, like, give him one of the old-fashioned, like, well, you know, like, that's not a very nice way to, like, talk about, and then beat the crap, you know, like, I don't know, like, have it really, like, like you said, if you're gonna pull out the big guns, have there be a reason to do it. Don't just make it a fucking throwaway line. Yeah, like, I, again, I totally... I totally believe that this character would say that. I totally like he's a really nasty person. But um, it, it, I believe and I also believe Bendis had the best intentions. Honestly, I don't think. Yeah, I, w- I would love to reiterate that, too, because it, it does seem like he was not. There's no malice in his heart. It was just a a choice that wasn't interpreted the way he thought it was going to be. Yeah, but I but I think. Because the character doesn't end up factoring it at all, he literally is a vehicle to get to a bigger villain anyways. He's not he's a small fish in that sense. It feels a little bit cheap to go there for him. For any other villain in any other context where they're actually gonna factor and you get to see the main character deal with that, 
That I'm cool with, and I don't care what the slur is. It could be the N-word. I don't care what they do. To me, violence on any level is equal. So if you're going to do it, then whatever. But let it let it be to where I can feel a relief when it's dealt with, I guess. Marco, you were about to jump in. Uh, I think you touched upon it, so I'll get Okay. So... Yeah, I mean, we, we just talked about three different, three very different instances of Marvel and DC getting flack for controversial subjects. And I guess to put the, the nail in this conversation, if you will, um, do you guys think, and, and let's really keep it on Marvel and DC, because, you know, I think we, as people who all, all three of us engage with Image Comics on a regular basis, we're very, very conditioned to expect different things from those books. And that's Image's brand. Right. So let's let's not talk about anything but Marvel and DC here. Do you guys think that controversy like this, like these three examples, belong here where people have different expectations? There's a possibility that kids are reading, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. Do you think that we should allow these kinds of things or should we shy away from them telling more traditional fare and when it comes to controversy bigger picture things that maybe don't hit so close to home uh especially when you're talking about stuff like the champions issue and um the uh the slur used by bennis i'd say an emphatic yes this stuff belongs here um art is like to me, that's one of the main purposes of art is to, like, talk about our feelings and our world and what matters to us. And superheroes especially, I think, are, you know, particularly powerful conduits for talking about these things because, A, they appeal to children and we rarely give children enough credit when it comes to their ability to understand and interpret complex emotions and messages from art, um, they're, they're great at it. You know, it's, it's not a problem. So I think to me, it's just a matter of being thoughtful of the fact that children are in the audience, not to say we need to treat them with kid gloves, but maybe we don't, maybe we don't need slurs in the books, you know, maybe we'd, or, or, you know, or if, if you are going to use it, use it to teach about why it's bad, you know, don't throw that out there and assume that they get that context. You know, I think those are the things I would argue where sensitivity is important because there are child children in the audience and this is a book for all ages, you know? Is and it? so it, well, I guess that's the question, right? Is should they be? And I, I think, I think to some degree, yes. You know, I think I think a, a, a child should be able and, and maybe not like a five year old. Right. But like a kid should be able to pick up your Batmans, your Supermans and uh, and be able to engage with that stuff. And I, I think that those characters are powerful conduits for learning about things like social issues and politics and and, you know, the world at large, because. Uh, and I know that this word is charged now, but it's a safe place to do those things, you know, through art, through fiction and through, I think, especially through characters that are inherently built 
to, you know, feel representative of ourselves, to give us power fantasy, to make us feel safe. That's what heroes are about. And I think um, using them as as conduits for for bigger discussions is good. Uh, it, it makes it makes the reader, you know, care for one thing. You know, it often leads to good art. But I think it's also a powerful tool for for teaching people, you know, and for and for giving making um, readers more more maybe worldly isn't the right word, but better, better people, better citizens, you know, by, you know, engaging with these topics in ways that they might not have otherwise. Let me let me challenge you on one thing. Uh, And obviously, I already explained how I feel about the issue of Bendis using the word autistic sure so let's say because you said that you think that like we should have these kinds of things in these books let's say a kid who is autistic reads it and he doesn't necessarily he can't necessarily contextualize like what we've discussed not because he's autistic but because he's a kid and you know um Given that there are teenagers and some people who are younger, even though these are rated T for teen, there are some people who are younger who might come across this. Do you think that kind of like slamming them with, oh, there's that. Do you think that that's okay? I think it's not in this specific scenario because of what you said, because of how it plays out. I think if if this was a thing that they really wanted to do, you know, like it was like, we want to talk about autism in Superman, right? Cool. There's a way to do that by having a character use that word as a slur and then have him getting his comeuppance in a specific way that makes the point of why this is bad, you know, of maybe an autistic kid helps Superman figure out where this guy's at and that's how he's able to, you know win you know is by like oh this guy put those people down here's an example of why that's wrong you know like and that's a super obvious like after school specially version of how that story could play out but we're trying to get to the end of the show um and i'm not pitching a nuanced version of this story but my point is is to your earlier statement right when you do those things do them with purpose and that's fine like the uh, the the classic Spider-Man storyline of like Harry Osborn getting hooked on pills, you know, like was a, a conduit for talking about the very real problem of prescription drug addiction at the time. And uh, that's that's representative of real life. And it's a powerful message because, you know, Peter, you know, Harry, maybe you see some of yourself in Peter. You see some of your friends in Harry and you get a sense of, wow, this is a real thing that's going on. You know, and maybe it's outside of my lexicon or my, but this is real, it's happening, and it gives you a sense of, you know, of of that issue, you know, and maybe makes you more empathetic to it, you know, and maybe you, the next time that situation comes up, instead of you being like, well, everybody who takes drugs, you know, they chose that, and they're a fucking loser, and, you know, they deserve to die or whatever, but you get that experience where you see that a, a character suffering with drug addiction in an empathetic light, and you think, wow. You know, like maybe, maybe that's, maybe I was wrong. You know, maybe I should think about this issue in a different way. That's the power of art. And I think when done well, uh, and when done with purpose, it, it's absolutely has a place, but when it's done wrong, you know, it's, it's a, it's a fine line 
between well executed and not well executed. And when it's not well executed, you know, I think we just need to take the people to task. And ideally, they respond with as much, you know, understanding and frankly, class as Bendis did. You know, he didn't fight back. He explained his position. He didn't, you know, he apologized because he had a change of heart, but it wasn't like, it didn't feel like a packaged PR response to avoid controversy. It seemed like, hey, here was my intention as an artist. Obviously, it, it was not read that way. And I'm sorry. I'm sorry if I, if I hurt you unintentionally and I'm going to make an effort to make amends here. And I think as long as we can all treat each other with that level of respect, you know, like we'll be fine. Marco. Um, I guess just to address your, the first question, um, to what sort of Tom King said, like the intention was something else and it was read in, in a different light. Um, while I think that's a valid point in argument, I don't know. I'm still on the fence with this one. And like, wow. yeah, I don't know. Wow. Okay. Fair enough. Um, I'll, I'll, I've never seen Marco speechless before. I've heard, I've seen him not speaking. I've never <laughs> seen him speechless. <laughs> uh, I, I'll go. And then if you have final thoughts and you can, you can yeah. uh, add them. So, for me, I think that uh, maybe not necessarily anything goes in superhero comics, but I can't think of anything that shouldn't go off the top of my head. I've seen everything in superhero comics that I've seen elsewhere, pretty much. Um, the first time I saw a rape scene in a comic was in a DC comic. Uh, they've used all manner of slurs and violence and, you know, real bloodshed i saw a character get ripped in half in a marvel comic you know so i saw a character be devoured in a marvel comic yeah all like i've seen the the implication of incest in a marvel comic like all those kinds of things i've i saw first through the big two and i'm not a worse person for it nor do i have a skewed perspective on comics because of it and i think if anything seeing mature themes dealt with through comics like I saw them in other forms of, of entertainment uh, helped me process those things in some cases. And in other cases, it was a throwaway. I don't think it necessarily always has to teach me a lesson, but I do think that it's better when it does, you know, but we don't necessarily criticize other forms of, of media for a lack of nuanced handling of, 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 of mature things. See, I, I feel like we do. I just think with comics, it's, it's more under a microscope because of the perception that they're for children. Uh, I don't know, man. No one said no one said with GTA, oh, well, if, if, if there was a lesson to be learned from the murder of hookers, then it would be okay. Uh, there wasn't this expectation of treat it a certain way. That's fair. I guess, I guess the difference there, though, is that people are just like, this shouldn't exist at all. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it shouldn't exist at all in the minds of those people. But my my point is, the 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 line was, it shouldn't exist or it should exist. Not it should exist with the caveat of, let there be a lesson in the in the in the game about what is it trying to exactly, say that it just says what it says and you're left to feel however you're gonna feel. There's no greater expectation. I, 
that's interesting. I wonder if that's also because of like the age of the medium too, though. You know, like video games, I don't think were taken that seriously until more recently. You know, like where where there is an expectation for them to be held to a higher standard with some of this stuff. Because you look at the, the way video games handled a lot of stuff when we were kids, and it was not nearly as delicate as it is today. I, yeah, I think part of that, though, is the evolution of society and how people feel about all these hot-button topics now. Um, but I still, I still think that, you know, look at what Game of Thrones does. Game of Thrones... You know, there's a lot of crazy stuff that goes on, and obviously people are critical. It's still whatever the biggest show out right now. And again, the question isn't, is there nuance to this? It's more like, we don't think that this should exist at all. And I think with comics, uh, maybe it, maybe you're right. Maybe it is because uh, they, they in the minds of, of outsiders, comics are supposed to appeal to kids. Maybe you're right. Maybe that is the reason. But I think where I land on it is everything should be allowed and then you decide how you feel about it once it's once it exists, but that it's not our call whether or not something should exist. Obviously, there are some extreme examples. Anyone could say, well, what about this? And then, you know, whatever, case by case, that's not for me. That's for Marvel or DC to go. That's a that's a bridge too far. And you know when that is. Also, yeah, and also, again, I would argue that that doesn't even matter. Like, I think that all art deserves the right to exist, and it just doesn't – all art doesn't deserve your time. And if someone puts out something that you don't like or says something that you don't like, well, that's that's why we have programs like this. That's why we have things like Twitter. That's why we have, you know, the court of public opinion, you know, and that is where those things should be discussed. But – I don't think that any – I don't think the takeaway from the criticism of any piece of art should be this doesn't deserve the right to exist. You know, it's like if it's bad, attack it for why it's bad. You know, criticize it. And, you know, hopefully uh, we as a society and creators and whatever can learn from that dialogue and, and you know, just continue on the path of improving what we're doing and and learning to – talk about complex issues in delicate, nuanced ways. Or don't. And if we don't, don't support that art. Don't lift it up. Um, Yeah, so to close the argument, I agree that, yes, it should be inclusive. Uh, It should be included uh, in art, but um, to what you guys were saying, and not necessarily the court of public opinion, but more so once it's been ingested by a by somebody, whether or not it affects them. Um, I think that has validity, validity too. Um, but whether or not it should be spoken out against, I think is dependent on whether or not it is, it is purposefully directed to inflict harm um, or that it doesn't ladder up to something or if it's something like this where it is sort of a throwaway that seems to be just empty. Um, I think that's where I would draw a line. It's just, okay, you sort of use this to be inflammatory, but okay, like that's all good and well and you can do that, but just 
be aware that this also affects people who are experiencing this art. I, I love what you said and that, but that did make me think about the piece that I didn't talk about or at least didn't express my feelings about with the Bendis thing. And then this is the last thing I have to say. <clears throat> um, number one, I think it's interesting that they didn't, that, that, that the use of autistic in that context was not bleeped out. If the, if he used the N word mm. or if he used like any other slur, I think it would have been bleeped out or they would have just said, you, you know, you can't do this. So I think it's interesting that that was allowed. But beyond that, I, I I thought about this while you were speaking, and I realized I'm not in favor of them removing that from additional printings. And the reason why I feel that way, and I feel this way across the board with a lot, and we've seen a lot of this happen. Um, a lot of old books had racial slurs in them that now have been edited out and removed. And the reason why I don't like it is because author's intent matters. And if you use something for a purpose in your mind, whether or not the public agrees with that, I don't think that that's for us to say, you know what, that shouldn't be there. So we're taking it out. I also think that's erasure, man. And that's not good. Like people who don't learn from history are doomed to repeat it. You know, that's uh, that's a cliche saying for a reason. And I think um, if you guys or, you know, you you listeners at home have seen, uh, I think Warner Brothers does an excellent job with this. Where if you've ever seen any of the, like, old racist Looney Tune uh, cartoons, they have a, a bumper that they play before them. Where they say, look, this piece of animation is a part of our history and ignoring it is, like, just as bad. And I'm paraphrasing, but ignoring it. And not thinking about the context in in the society in which this was deemed acceptable is just as bad as as the act in the first place. You know, you you, you like you need to you need to see where we've been to know where we're going and know where we should be. And like, I I personally think that trying to censor those unsavory parts of our history is why we have such a why we're still dealing with some of the same problems you know like the reason that race is still such an issue in this country um you know i think in a lot of ways is because we don't we don't talk about it well and and, and america's embarrassed of its racist history so we whitewash it you know and, and we make it sound not as bad as it was and like you know i i just uh I I agree with you, Sean. Like, I think that, like, if if an artist's original intent was racist, um, don't take out the racist intent to try and salvage the art. Leave the art as it was and talk about why that's not okay. Talk about why that's no longer acceptable, you know? Like, to be revisionist, I think, is more harming than to let it be there and to let people experience it and to then draw their own conclusions as to why it's wrong. Like, uh uh raw right like that's not yes. something that is that's not great it's still popular it's still there it's still expressed but there are lamentations and regret about that and that's a way to move things forward absolutely uh so i think we've you know we could probably talk about this for a lot longer but you know uh i think for now for this episode we've reached 
the conclusion of the conversation. I want to say thank you both because I think this was actually a really good conversation and a, and a, and a nuanced yeah. one, and I, I appreciate what you guys brought to I agree. This. So uh, thank you. And to the listeners, we really want to hear what you guys think about this issue because it is complex, and there are a lot of feelings across the board. Um, some... You know, some are extreme, some are, are, are more measured, and I think you heard a lot of those feelings expressed here on the show, but we want to know where you land with this stuff, uh, whatever you feel is valid, so uh, you can let us know your thoughts and we will read them. Uh, if you get us on Apple Podcasts or SoundCloud, uh, we are at the Comics Pals all over social media, you can reach out there. The best way to hit us up is by writing in at thecomicspals at gmail.com, where you can talk to us about... Uh, anything we discussed on this or any other episode of the Comics Pals, and of course, on YouTube where you can like the video, uh, leave us a comment, share with your friends, and subscribe to our channel for more content like this um, that you can always expect. We will never shy away from these sorts of subjects, and we will always give you the real and the raw uh, as best as we can, because that's why we do the show. So... Let's do some plugs. Pete. Cool. Thank you guys so much for joining us here on another episode of the Comics Pals. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. If you guys would like to connect with me, I'm at loud underscore Pete on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, I do a ton of other programs with us. Uh, you can find me and Sean on the Video Game Pals, which uh, posts the day after this on podcast services and the same day on YouTube.com slash the Comics Pals. You can also find me on our uh, weekly Let's Play show Monday through Thursday um, over with Thompson from the Video Game Pals. We're on a bit of a break right now uh, while we are kind of coming up with some new stuff to play. We're in a bit of a lull with the summer right now, so we're kind of getting excited. September's around the corner. We're going to be playing some Spider-Man, all kinds of cool stuff on the horizon, so make sure you go check that show out if you're into games. Uh, and then I'm doing a ton of other new stuff lately, so if you want to support me, you're liking what I'm doing over here, uh, you can go check out... Um, I've joined the team at LootPots.com where I'm doing... Uh, Nintendo Switch reviews, writing about Nintendo news, all kinds of fun stuff. Uh, Going to be doing some YouTube stuff with them as well, so keep tuned for that on my Twitter. Uh, and then I also have been uh, starting to release some music that I've been working on, so you can also go check out my SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash thejetpackadvantage and go check out my first beat. Thank you. I think you guys should go listen to that because it's good stuff. I just love that you just plugged your SoundCloud. I just think that's funny. <laughs> check out my SoundCloud, baby. SoundCloud it's like... I'm just I'm waiting I'm waiting for my uh, my first viral tweet so that I can plug my sound. <laughs> that, is, that is hilarious, man. Marco. Yeah, you can find me at Mr. Marco Animoto on Instagram and Twitter. Um, hmm, no new updates on any Kickstarters that I back. Oh, I did get the uh, reference Heroes of the Public Domain reference guide by Temporal Comics recently. That's on our Instagram. Um, if you guys want to continue supporting that, definitely get in contact with them. The book is really, really cool. It, uh, has a bunch of characters that are otherwise ripoffs or have been ripped off in the comics world, which is very interesting. Um, so getting a lot of that history and getting that, uh, context has been a lot of fun. Um, I'm going to plug Kale, uh, at Toto and Toe. That's T-O-T-O-I-N-T-O-W on instagram and twitter he is exploring the world he has things up he does comics from the deep he has a new thing coming out panels publishing panels publishing he has a new uh book coming out or like a new 
uh, mini comic coming out in Hellcat Press, uh, which the Kickstarter I believe has ended. But if you guys can go, you guys can go Google that. Um, definitely go help support them. There's a lot of artists there and a lot of creators, um, Kale and Letty included, who did our logo. So definitely go support them. Um, Phil is at Cyborg Bebop. That's it. Cool. As for me, I am on Twitter and Instagram at Sean Soapbox. Let's talk about controversy because I like it. And with that, we're the Comics Pals signing off. Take care, guys. See you next week. Bye.